Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. Sunday is often known as Good Shepherd Sunday due to the gospel passage from John chapter 10. Our Lord speaks of himself as the Good Shepherd. Um, however, as I was sort of reading over the, the readings for this Sunday, the, the passage that most caught my attention was the last couple lines of our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles where Peter is speaking to a crowd. I just want to repeat back to you what he says. He tells the crowd, there is no salvation through anyone else. He's speaking of Christ, of course. There's no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. There's no salvation through anyone else. This passage, as many other similar ones in the New Testament, brings up this topic of salvation which many people have questions about. It's something that has been on my mind a lot recently, not only because in RCIA it's sort of a recurring theme among those who are coming to inquiry and asking questions such as, do Catholics believe that non-Catholics can be saved? Can non-Christians be saved? If so, how does that work? Um, How do you reconcile something like God's mercy with the existence of hell? big questions that many of us have about the reality of, of salvation have also over the past month in particular been more than average in situations where this reality of, of, of someone's eternal salvation being in play has been sort of like a big question. Going to hospice houses and visiting people who are on their deathbed and maybe have been away from the church for 30 or 40 years or deathbed conversions and a lot of sort of intense situations like that sort of has this topic on my mind and I, and I think it's important to clarify for our own good what church teaching actually is regarding this reality of salvation um, because it's going to end up affecting a lot of how we live, live our life. Um, so I want to just take a little bit of time this morning and walk through four or five critical doctrinal points about what we believe about salvation and who can be saved, um, and then draw hopefully a little bit of a practical conclusion from that. The first thing we need to know about this topic is what we often call God's universal salvific will. It's a fancy way of saying that God desires the salvation of all human beings. Everyone who He's created, He wants them to be with Him forever in heaven. We read about this in St. Paul's first letter to Timothy. God wants all to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. This makes sense, right? God is a loving Father. He doesn't create any of His children and then not want them to be with Him forever in heaven. This is the first thing to remember. The second principle follows upon this one. Namely, that if God desires all those whom he has created to be with him forever in heaven, 
He's going to give every single human person who has ever lived or ever will live what we call sufficient grace to be saved. In other words, he's going to give everyone who has ever lived the bare minimum grace necessary to be saved, to respond to him, and to be welcomed into heaven. We call this sufficient grace. It wouldn't make sense for God to say, well, I want all of, all of those whom I've created, I want all of them in heaven, but for some of them, I'm not going to give them sufficient grace to say yes to me. That wouldn't make sense. So this doctrine of sufficient grace follows upon the fact that God wants all of his children in heaven. The third point, though, is where the drama of salvation begins to unfold, which is that God gives us freedom. Right? He gives each of us freedom to say no to his offer of salvation and to persist in that no until the moment of our death, or to say yes to his offer of salvation and to persevere in that yes until the moment of our death. This is where the drama of free will and God's grace begins to play out. And the church has never ruled in any doctrinal teaching sort of estimating the percentage or the number of people who may have persevered in that no, in that rejection of God's gift, and therefore not been saved. Or those who have said yes, the church has never said, oh, it's 60-40 or it's 70-30, you know. <laughs> the church has never, has never said that. We have no idea what it is. There are many different theological opinions out there, and you can sort of enter into all sorts of interesting debates about that, based on what the Lord says in the Gospels, what else is in the New Testament, and so on. But there's no definitive teaching in that regard. What we do know is that we have the freedom to persevere in a no or to persevere in a yes. And again, this truth that we have freedom also is very much connected to the fact that God is a loving Father. He's not going to impose salvation upon anybody unless they want it. He wants us to freely embrace it. The fourth thing to remember, and this is, this is very important, is that if someone outside of the visible Catholic Church is saved, it happens only through the mediation of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Right, so somebody, for example, who grows up on some lost island that nobody knows about, has never heard of the Lord, if they make it to heaven, and I'll explain in a minute how that's possible, if they make it to heaven, it's not through the mediation of whatever pagan religion it is that they follow. It's, it's still through Jesus Christ and His church. If a, if a Muslim makes it to heaven, it's not because they've been faithful to their Islamic religion. Their salvation is still going to come through Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. If a Buddhist makes it to heaven, it's not because of the mediation of their Buddhist religion. It's still through the mediation of Jesus Christ and his church, even if they've never heard of the Lord before, because there's only one mediator between heaven and earth, which is Jesus Christ. There's only one who's conquered death and risen again to never die again. There's only one who, who sort of has united God and humanity in his very person. The only, the only path to heaven is always through Jesus Christ, who is inseparable from his bride, the church. So that's very important to remember. The fifth point, for someone who is outside of the bounds of the visible Catholic Church, 
it is possible for them to be saved on three conditions. Three conditions. The first is what we call inculpable ignorance. Inculpable ignorance. What this means is that through no fault of that person, either because they've never heard the message of Jesus Christ, or maybe because they live in a culture where Christianity and Catholicism is present, but for various reasons, it's through no fault of their own that they've never given it a decent listen, if you will. But if, if it's through no fault of an individual that they have not come to embrace Christ and the church that he founded, that's the first condition that is necessary for somebody outside of the visible Catholic Church to be saved. This is how one of the documents of Vatican II puts it. It says, it says those cannot be saved who, knowing the church was founded by God through Christ as necessary for salvation, refuse either to enter the church or to remain in it. Those could not be saved who, knowing the church was founded by God as necessary for salvation, choose either to refuse to enter it or not to remain in it. And so what it's describing there is somebody who would have what we call culpable ignorance. They would, they would be at fault for not remaining in the church or for not entering the church. So that's the first condition for somebody outside the visible church to make it to heaven. The second is that they have to sincerely seek to know God through the means available to them. So, for example, for somebody from a Protestant background, this would entail three areas. To, to sincerely seek to know God through Scripture, to know Him through the light of their conscience, which is given to all of us, and to know Him in the created order. Right? We can come to know things about God, such as His existence and His goodness, by looking at creation around us. So, in culpable ignorance, there has to be a sincere striving to know God through the means available to them. And so for somebody, for example, from a non-Protestant background who's maybe not religious whatsoever, that would mean a, a sincere striving to know God through their conscience and through the created order around them. And then the final thing that is necessary for somebody to be saved outside of the visible Catholic Church is that they follow their conscience. Right, that they follow their conscience, that, that moral voice that's inside of all of us, and they seek to, to really live in accordance with what the light of their conscience is telling them. And so these three things the church lays out very clearly in their teaching are necessary. God offers salvation to everyone. He wants everyone to be with Him in heaven. But for somebody outside the bounds of the Catholic Church, while it's possible we can say it's more difficult. It's more difficult. They do not have access to all the means, all the sacramental graces, the, the security of the church's infallible teaching to guide them. But they, they miss a lot of these things. This same document of the Second Vatican Council says this, in reference mostly to those who, who, uh, who are not from a Christian background whatsoever. The church says, well, it's, well, it's possible for these to be saved. Very often, quote, deceived by the evil one, people have lost their way in their thinking, have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and served the creature 
rather than the Creator. Or else, living and dying in this world without God, they're exposed to ultimate despair. That is why to procure the glory of God and the salvation of all of these people, the church, mindful of the Lord's command to preach the gospel to every creature, takes great care to encourage the missions. Takes great care to encourage the missions. The last thing to remember, and then I want to draw a quick practical point from this, is that for those of us who do belong to the Catholic Church, because 99% of us here today, for those of us who are Catholic, right, we don't believe in any sort of like surefire guarantee of salvation. We have to persevere in God's grace to the end of our life. We have to persevere in that. And in this same document of the church, the church says very clearly, a person who does not persevere in charity, in other words, in sanctifying grace, a person who does not persevere in charity, however, is not saved, even though incorporated into the church. A person who does not persevere in charity, however, is not saved, even though incorporated into the church. Why bring all of this up? Good Shepherd Sunday, we're supposed to meditate on the, the goodness and the gentleness of, of the Lord, and, and He is all those things to an infinite degree. And the intensity to which He desires our salvation far surpasses any desire that we have, either for our own salvation or those of others. So first of all, we need to trust in that. But why do I bring this up? Two, two reasons, really. The first is pr to protect all of you from slipping very easily into an ancient but also very modern heresy called universalism, right? There's sort of a, an atmosphere of universalism that's kind of been current for a while in the church, in, in many Protestant denominations, in the culture in general. Um, Bishop Johnston has actually, this is kind of on my mind as well, because he's spoken in a few public settings recently about how this is affecting a lot of the church's missionary zeal, among other things. But universalism basically is the claim that, in its extreme version, universalism claims that everyone in the end goes to heaven. Everyone goes to heaven. In the end, God, God saves everyone. Right? Which, again, not to be confused with God giving sufficient grace to everyone who exists, but we have no idea how many people actually respond to that and say yes. So there are two different things. Universalism says in the end, everyone goes to heaven. Everyone is saved. In a slightly less intense version of universalism, which I think is, is much more prevalent that many people hold, maybe without realizing it, is that pretty much 99.9% .9 of people go to heaven except somebody who's like really insidiously evil. The handful of like Hitlers and so on throughout history, like they don't go to heaven, but 99.9% .9 of everyone else goes to heaven. Everyone else is saved. That's a, another version of universalism, which is, is a heresy. It's not, it's not what we believe as Catholics. Again, not to be confused with the fact that God loves every one of his children. He wants every one of them to be in heaven. He gives every one of them sufficient grace but we, don't, we have no idea how many respond to that with a yes to the end of their life. So, in a culture that's kind of Christian culture, Catholic culture, that's kind of fallen a bit into universalism, what happens, one of the side effects is that 
you not only lose the zeal for your own sanctification, but we also really lose the zeal for missionary work, right? for evangelizing other people. Because if 99.9% if of people go to heaven, like what's the point? If it's, if it's possible for all of these non-Catholics that are my coworkers and my neighbors and family and friends and, and so on, if it's possible that they can go to heaven, well, I can sort of, you know, wash my hands clean and it's not my, not my problem to worry about, right? That's, that's not the case. The Lord, the Lord chooses to use us, weak instruments, to bring people in, into His fold. Right? We, we have to respond to Him. We have to make sure that there's no sort of like lingering aspect of universalism in our hearts to know that, sure, somebody outside the church can be saved, but with difficulty. You might say, yeah, you could sail across the Pacific Ocean on a raft. You might make it to the other side, <laughs> but it's, it's going to be tough. <laughs> it's going to be tough. You're, you're going to lack a lot of the means that you would have if you were on an aircraft carrier or something, right? We need to, I think, spur ourselves on anew. And again, this is, this is prompted. I've, I've heard our bishop recently talk about this, that, that this universalism creeping in has, has kind of destroyed a lot of, of the traditional kind of vigor for missionary efforts in the church. Um, and, it, and it also, it just really um, turns us inwards and, 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 and contributes to maybe more of a defensive posture instead of an offensive posture of going out and, and winning souls. So having, having met so many of you in the past three years at the parish, I know how many of you are, are deeply in love with the Lord. And I just want to really encourage you to, to not hold back. <laughs> to not hold back and be like, should I, should, I, should I take this conversation deeper with this person? Should I really invite them to consider faith in the Lord and His church? Yes, <laughs> you should. Again and again and again and again and again. Again and again and again and again. A couple years ago, some of you may be familiar with this story. I'll, I'll close with this. Um, there was a, a Protestant guy named John Allen Chow. He was 26 years old. Oftentimes, the Protestants far surpass us in their, their, their zeal to really save people from the possibility of hell in their, in their missionary work. Right? This, this 26-year-old guy from Alabama tried unsuccessfully, as had been done many times before, to evangelize this little island in the Indian Ocean uh, with a tribe called the Senegalese. And they're a non, an uncontacted tribe that's still living in sort of a Stone Age culture. And different missionaries have tried to reach them before, and, and they're very violent. Usually they get shot with arrows before they're even within range of landing on the shore. And this 26-year-old guy by himself trained for a year. He was, he was so passionate about bringing these people to Jesus Christ that he risked his own life and, and eventually was killed trying to, trying to bring the gospel to this island, right? When you look around us, like Kansas City, 90 plus percent of this city does not, does not know the Lord. 90%. Mission territories all around us, right? And the Lord wants to use you and me to bring those people to know Him. Not just, to, not just to save them from the possibility of hell, but to give them a new life unlike anything they've ever known before. To give them the joy that Jesus Christ wants to bestow upon all of His children. The Lord is sort of just chomping at the bit 24-7 to pour out His love on all these people through us. 
We have to say yes. We have to say yes. We have to not be afraid to have an awkward conversation or a difficult conversation. We have to bring these people to know the Lord and His church. We had a great RCI program going. We got 15 or 20 people in it right now. We've had three join last year, four at Easter, another five or six at Pentecost. Really though, knowing all of you, this isn't an implication, this is a challenge. Knowing all of you and your love for the Lord, we should have well over 100 people in the RCA process here at the parish. Well over 100, easy, easy. Ask the Lord in your prayer, Lord, who do you want me to reach out to? Somebody's salvation in a mysterious way could depend on your courage could depend on your courage. The Lord wants to help you with that. He wants to help you. Trust Him.